is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. Well, it's deja vu all over again, folks, as Donald Trump faces his now second federal indictment in as many months for his efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election, likely adding to the extraordinary array of criminal charges and other legal peril facing the mango Mussolini, even as he fucking campaigns to return to the White House. Now, Trump was informed by his lawyers on Sunday that he had received a dreaded target letter from special counsel Jack Smith, informing him that he was being investigated for his efforts to reverse his defeat at the polls. Now, I want you to understand that prosecutors use target letters to tell potential defendants that investigators have evidence tying them to crimes and that they could be subject to indictment. So just a reminder that besides the current federal indictment in the so-called documents case, Trump is also under indictment in Manhattan on charges related to hush money payments that were made to Stormy Daniels before the 2016 election. So karma's a bitch, Donnie. You do fucking bad things, and bad things happen back to you. It's just that easy. I know you escaped accountability from the moment you began bullying cadets at military school, but it's over now, pal, that you're going down because everybody's fucking tired. We're tired of the lies and the bullshit. Oh, and if that's not enough, you're also going to be indicted by the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, for trying to pressure Brad Raffensperger and other officials to find votes for you and overturn the election. I always said you talked like a mafia boss and you always wanted to be one. Now they're going to crucify you with Rico like you're John Gotti himself. So sayonara, motherfucker, because you're looking at possibly 20 years. Don Jr. even weighed in on Wednesday on Real America's Voice podcast saying, and I quote, It would mark the end of civilization if his father was indicted over the insurrection, also suggesting that civilization was actually due to end soon anyway. This is like the end of the civilization, Trump's son said. And you know, if you look at the timing, most civilizations last 250 years. We're almost at, I mean, we're at what, 248? So we are in serious trouble if we don't right this ship. I mean, his comments came as the former president took to his truth social to reveal that he had been notified by the Department of Justice of his status as a target of the investigation into the January 6th attack. The first real confirmation that he could face criminal charges for his role in the hour-long siege on Capitol Hill. On Sunday night, while I was with my family, bullshit by the way, horrifying news for our country was given to me by my attorneys, said the boss. Deranged Jack Smith sent a letter, again, it was Sunday night, stating that I am a target of the January 6th grand jury investigation and giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury, which almost always means an arrest and indictment, wrote Trump who is attempting to use the indictment, well, to convince voters that he's being persecuted while promising to purge the Justice Department and FBI of personnel that he sees as hostile to him and his agenda. The exact number of charges Trump may face related to the DOJ's January 6th probe is not yet known, nor is the extent of the criminal accusations that he may face. 
the House's Select Committee investigating January 6th previously recommended a handful of charges at the conclusion of their hearings in 2022, including the charge of giving comfort to an insurrection. So here we are, back to Trump Jr., who shared his father's statement on Twitter on Tuesday and added his own comment. It never ends. The corrupted bureaucrats of the swamp will do anything to stop my father from fighting for you and putting Americans first. This is a mockery of justice in our Constitution. We are a third world nation in rapid decline with only one cure. Re-elect Donald J. Trump! Exclamation mark. I mean, could you believe the bullshit? This is a kid that wanted nothing to do with his father. This is a kid who wanted to be nothing like his father. And here he is. Could you imagine the shit that we are a third world nation in rapid decline? Really? You feel like you're in a third world nation in rapid decline when you're ordering your fucking Mar-a-Lardo burgers at Mar-a-Lago and people start clapping for you when you walk into a room? You and your daddy? Come on, man. And Jack Smith and his prosecutors have assembled a staggering amount of evidence about tactics that Trump and his allies used to try to stave off his election defeat. Those efforts included assembling slates of so-called fake electors from swing states that Trump lost, pressuring state officials to block or delay Joe Biden Jr.'s victories, seeking to persuade Vice President Mike Pence to impede congressional certification of the Electoral College outcome, raising money based on false claims of election fraud, and rallying supporters to come to Washington and march on the Capitol on January 6th of 2021. Just hours after Trump disclosed his receipt of the Target letter, the Michigan Attorney General announced felony state charges against 16 people for their involvement in an attempt to overturn Biden's victory in the state by convening a slate of these pro-Trump electors. Each of the defendants was charged with eight felony counts, including forgery and conspiracy to commit forgery, on charges that they signed documents falsely claiming that they were Michigan's duly elected and qualified electors for president and vice president. They weren't the duly elected and qualified electors, and each of the defendants knew it, Attorney General Dana Nessel, a Democrat, said in announcing the charges. They carried out these actions with the hope and belief that the electoral votes of Michigan's 2020 election would be awarded to the candidate of their choosing instead of the candidate that Michigan voters actually chose. Now, sources say that Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani, America's former mayor, serial fucking farter and drunken buffoon, is a target of Jack Smith in the elector's scheme as well, and will likely be pressured to flip or face real prison time. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is none other than Norm Eisen. I mean, there's pretty much nothing that goes on in politics today that Eisen doesn't have an educated opinion about. Eisen is a CNN legal analyst and the founder and executive chair of States United Democracy Center, a nonpartisan organization advancing free, fair, and secure elections. 
His articles for the Brookings Institute and elsewhere have made the case for why Trump and his band of criminal conspiracists represented a clear and present danger to democracy. His latest work of art is a model prosecution memo, a 250-page model prosecution memo that came just days before Trump received the target letter that lays out the case against him startling, with, I mean seriously, with startling clarity. Eisen writes that the memo builds on the work that has been done by the January 6th committee and many others, but is the first comprehensive application of the law to the facts to establish that the DOJ standards for bringing charges are met. So here today we offer an in-depth look at the vast factual record through prosecutorial eyes to describe a relatively simple three-part theory of the case that prosecutors can try to verdict in a year or less. It's that three-part theory that Norm is going to break down for us today. So settle in, my friends, and get educated, because you're about to get a masterclass in how to bring down Donald Trump. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Norm, let's start by talking about the model prosecution memo. I mean, just a couple of days ago, you recently released this document along with um, Noah Bookbinder, Donald Ayer, Josh Stanton, my attorney, E. Danya Perry, Deborah Perlin, and um, uh, Kayvon uh, Farshadi. So you put out this document assessing federal charges special counsel Jack Smith may bring against former President Donald Trump for alleged criminal interference in the 2020 election. So first of all, if you would explain why you decided to do this in really incredibly important memo, unpack in essence for my listeners the specific crimes that you believe were committed by Trump and most importantly, why you believe that they meet the threshold for prosecution. Well, clearly, Michael, I wrote the memo, uh, co-authored it because I wanted to have another good reason to come on mea culpa with you as soon as possible. <laughs> of course. You can come on just to talk to me about, about, about a hamburger for all I care. Hamburgers and hot we dogs. Should have a, we should someday have a no Trump edition of Mayor Culpa where we just talk about life. Um, we can talk about Trump, what's his name? Paulie. We can talk about Paulie Chestnut and his like 59 <laughs> hot dogs or whatever it was to win this year's again, you know, but yeah, Joey, please. Isn't it yeah, Joey, Joey Chestnut. Chestnut. All right. So, um, well, we know, uh, what, uh, what Joey Chestnut is to, um, uh, eating hot dogs, Donald Trump is to eating the rule of law, <laughs> and he he has torn through um, many many uh, uh, actions that raise serious questions uh, under the uh, federal criminal statutes when it comes to his assault on the 2020 election that culminated in uh, the violence of January 6th. In this memo, uh, we analyze, as I've done before with other alleged uh, patterns of misconduct, 
we analyze the principal federal statutes that are implicated by Donald Trump's actions by the investigation of Jack Smith. And uh, what are the possible crimes that were committed and uh, what might the charges look like and when? We decided that the as strong as the January 6th committee report is, which also makes criminal referrals a very valuable document, it set forth an extraordinarily comprehensive and broad range of activity. But a prosecutor is going to look at that and say, what is the simplest case that I can bring and win a conviction? What is allowed under the DOJ charging rules? And what should I do? Even if it's allowed, what's the right thing to do against whom and when? And those five questions haven't really been answered, particularly because there's been so much new information since the January 6th committee finished its work in December of 2022. So this report does that. The conclusion of the report is that there's actually a very simple three-part case, like a three-act drama that uh, myself and my distinguished bipartisan co-authors from both political parties, decades of experience as prosecutors and defense lawyers, we think that simple three-act drama can be brought and tried to a jury within a year. So before the um, before the uh, 2024 Republican National Convention, July 2024, where they'll choose their standard bearer. What is that case? Act one, Trump tried everything under the sun, getting DOJ to attack the investigation, calling state legislators, calling governors, secretaries of state, bringing all those 62 bogus pieces of litigation. Um, By the time, uh, beginning of January, he was rebuffed for the final time by the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. He was all out of options except for one thing. He had a handful of phony electoral certificates claiming he was the winner fraudulent, false, forged, counterfeit electoral certificates. He wasn't the winner. Act two, starting the morning of January 4th, he took those certificates and he used them to intensify his pressure campaign. Mike Pence, you go Mm -hmm. to Congress and don't recognize the legitimate winner. Use these phony electoral certificates to throw Congress into chaos on January 6th. Act three, when Pence refused morning of January 6th, what did Trump do? He unleashed the violence of insurrection. And those three acts, um, the uh, spaghetti at the wall that ended with uh, the uh, rotten electoral certificates, Act 2, pressing Pence, Act 3, unleashing insurrection, that corresponds to three statutes, Michael. A conspiracy to defraud the United States with those electoral certificates, that's Act 1 a conspiracy to uh, interfere with an official uh, proceeding in Congress, that's Act Two, and Act Three, the Insurrection Act. And each of those has a criminal statute. 18 U.S.C. 371 is Act One, that's the conspiracy to fraud the United States. 18 U.S.C. 1512, that's attempting to interfere with Congress. 
18 U.S.C. 2383, giving aid or comfort or assisting mm -hmm. insurrection. Very simple case. Bring it, get it to the jury, and let's learn. Is Donald Trump uh, a convicted felon for attacking our democracy or not? Okay. Every single one of these, we'll call it the three-prong test, or we'll call it the three-prong demolition of Donald, are all backed up by legitimate criminal statutes. You just cited the three. So the question that I would ask you, how come it hasn't already been done? Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that the team that you assembled, the seven individuals between you and just Danya alone, right? I mean, you're talking about two powerhouses when it comes yes. to these, when it comes to these, <laughs> you. you know, types of matters. So my question is, now that it's out there, has anybody from Congress reached out to you and said, hey, Norm, absolutely incredible. I read it on the Just Security website, the whole nine yards. It is absolutely brilliant. It lays out a strategy that is irrefutable, that really walks you down, we'll say, Dorothy's golden path right to the wizard, right? And pulls the curtain and exposes the phoniness, right, of the Wizard of Oz, which is really what Donald did. He's a fucking phony. So my question to you is why hasn't anybody reached out? Or maybe have they? And why are they They're not doing exactly what you laid out in this incredible memorandum? Well, um, part of the reason we publish these memoranda is uh, so that everybody can benefit from them. Um, there, I uh, won't go into all the uh, conversations. Um, um, I do believe that these these um, things that we publish um, have an effect on the public discourse. I know that uh, they have an effect on prosecutors because they explain why it can be done. They, they, but they're there for the media. They're there for commentators and analysts like yourself, and they're there ultimately for the public. These model prosecution memos are the most closely held documents at DOJ, even the FBI investigators, Michael. Even the FBI investigators who work on cases don't see the prosecution memos. So I wrote one with my very distinguished co-author, Danya, Don Air, Noah Bookbinder from Crew, everybody else. We wrote one so everybody could see it. And I hope Jack Smith will take a look at it. I think that he's on the right track already, as I write in the memo. You can tell from what has emerged in the past seven months that he's on the right track. So I'm uh, cautiously optimistic that we're going to see charges here. I mean, let me be very clear to all of my listeners. This is worth the read. We're talking about, you got to go to, it's justsecurity.org, and you'll find uh, this memorandum where it lays it all out. So in the, it's like the fourth, fifth paragraph, and I'm going to read from it, our own conclusions based upon the publicly available information are bolstered by the analysis of many other authorities. It's not as if you guys are just saying it, right, Norm? 
I mean, it's not like you're just saying it on your own because there's nothing to say. You're using other authorities within which to prove your thesis. A federal judge has already found, follow this, my listeners, a federal judge has already found by a preponderance of the evidence that Trump and the co-conspirator John Eastman likely violated 18 U.S.C. 371 and 18 U.S.C. 1512. I mean, this isn't something that is a hodgepodge, something that you're making up. And you go into how the preponderance of evidence would be used in order to demonstrate that Trump and Eastman likely violated these two statutes. I'm not sure after you laid out the entire scenario for them, and there's probably a dozen, there's at least a dozen of these recommendations. And again, this is something that you said, and I'm going to repeat it because it's worth it's worth repeating. Bipartisan. You see, Donald can't go ahead and claim that everything is partisan, that, you know, that um, every single person that writes something that's negative about him is coming from the Democratic machine, though he would call them rhinos, right? Um, these, this, this is a bipartisan group of individuals. Uh, it is. Um, the, um, both the co-authors, uh, Don Ayer, is one of the most distinguished and very conservative legal scholars. Michael Ludig um, tweeted repeatedly about the report saying it was right and many, many kind things about the depth of the analysis. Um, even your nemesis, Bill Barr, even Bill Barr said that he thinks uh, there's criminal exposure here. So, um, I think that this is not partisan. Look, Trump attacks whoever speaks the truth. You've lived that more than anybody. I remember I'm, when his and attacks I'm still on you it. began, and you're sure. still living it. I remember when his attacks on you began. But Don Ayer is not a rhino. The guy proved his conservative credentials over decades, including many Supreme Court cases serving in Republican administrations, serving at the Republican DOJ. Uh, you know, Michael Ludig was a, uh, a top choice for the United States Supreme Court of conservative mm -hmm. administrations and a top jurist and a feeder judge for the Supreme Court for its most conservative Clarence Thomas type jurists. So um, the notion that these people are rhinos is ridiculous. Um, uh, uh, Trump is uh, the rhino here, or maybe we should call him an I know, an American in name only, because what he's doing mm -hmm. is un-American. It's it's autocratic. These uh, this conduct that he has is what we've seen in other country from countries from autocrats. That goes to one of those five questions I started out with, Michael. The last and the most important. Okay. The factual case is there. The legal case is there. It meets DOJ standards to obtain a conviction at trial and sustain the conviction on appeal. Should, but should. Um, and there's a simple, the fourth question, is there a simple theory of the case you can try to the jury and judge in a year? Yes. Should Jack Smith. That's the reason. The fact that Trump is an I know 
his assault on America and our values. That's the reason. And he'll do it again. And others will take the same lesson if he can get away with this. That's why um, uh, that's why he needs to be prosecuted. He should be prosecuted. That's the answer at the very end of the memo. That's the answer we come to. Yeah, you see, you call him an I know, right? American in name only. I just call him an asshole because anybody that's willing to, <laughs> and so, I'm serious. You know, but, I mean, he is. He's a true fucking asshole. At the end of the day, why in the world would you want to destroy the greatest experiment to exist in, in history, democracy? The fact that men and women are the same or should be treated the same. They're not, but... Well, we need to get there. Black, white, brown, right? Does it really make a difference? Um, Jewish, Christian, Muslim. I mean, that's the beauty of America, the melting pot in order. And that's why we're so that's why we're so fucking successful as a country, because we're not a homogenous society that follows one specific rule. We're not the Kim Jong-uns that you have to follow a supreme leader or the Mohammed bin Salmans where you have to follow theocracy. We are the greatest experiment in the history of Earth. And this asshole, right, this asshole, it's not in name only, it's just an asshole, right, wants to destroy it and make us into the things that we don't want to be the things that we're hoping we can impress upon other nations to follow our lead because it's the right. It's the right lead. And we're watching as we're losing our constitutional rights, women losing their rights over their reproductive you know, decision making. We're watching as you know, voting rights are being you know, cut out from underneath certain minorities and classes. And we're watching the racism and the anti-Semitism. We're watching the hatred for anybody who is not part of that Southern white Christian coalition. Very dangerous. But you do also mention in this, in this memo, and I thought it was interesting, that the first and most persuasive person to make a case of which you based a lot of this memo on is, US, um, uh, is the attorney Barbara McQuaid. Now, I love yes. watching Barbara on television. I have yes. an enormous amount of respect you know, for her. What was it about what she said that sort of moved you in the way that you clearly have been moved in order to write this um, quite impressive memorandum. Well, she was the pioneer because she herself was the U.S. attorney. You know, before I prosecuted Trump in the first impeachment, <laughs> a lot of my career, I had done I had done some uh, some work uh, uh, on uh, accountability for wrongdoing and watchdog and whatnot. But mostly I'd been a defense lawyer, but she wrote and got these prosecution memos. She had the insight very early, well over a year ago, to say, hey, Donald Trump very likely committed crimes here. And she wrote a short model pros memo, a um, dozen pages, a couple dozen pages. And that was the inspiration for what became the Mar-a-Lago documents model pros memo. And then for this one. So I just thought, wow, what a great idea to take 
the form, since the public will never see it, to build on that. And then, and Barb also was kind enough to be an outside reader for me. Mm -hmm. So she read the memo and she said, yeah, you're you're on the right track here. So uh, she's one of the great ones, Michael. She's terrific. Yeah, that she definitely is. But you know, you know better than I, considering former ambassador, you are also, you know, the ethics czar there in the White House. You know better than pretty much most that government never takes responsibility for its actions. In fact, what do they try to do? They're always trying to cover up their own issues. You know, today, interestingly enough, I received a letter. My, you know, my attorney and my friend Jeff Levine, who was there with me when I was unconstitutionally remanded, sent a series of documents off to um, the Bureau of Prisons. And it's, it's interesting. I literally just got it. The United States Department of Justice just sent me a letter uh, CC it, of course, to Jeff Levine, uh, and it's an administrative claim uh, number. <laughs> this is really amazing. And it says, Dear Misters Cohen and Levine, your administrative claim number, and it's TRTNER number, properly received on July 17th of 2021. First letter that we've received in two years has been considered for settlement as provided by the Federal Tort Claims Act, FTCA, 28 U.S.C., 2672, under authority delegated to me by 28 CFR, 543.30. Damages are sought in the amount of, and it says here, $20,000. I don't recall $20,000. I think it was more like $20 million, based on a personal injury claim. Specifically, you allege the Bureau of Prisons violated your rights by transferring back into federal custody on or about July 9th of 2020. So it's not that I'm claiming. It's fucking fact, you asshole, right? This is written by Darren Howard, regional counsel to the Bureau of Prisons. It's not my allegation. I was fucking unconstitutionally remanded. And, you know, I mean, how many different people are talking about it from John Dean to the great Norm Eisen? I mean, it's not even questioned. Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein acknowledged it was retaliation. So this is what this asshole writes. After review, we have decided to deny your claim because you have not alleged specific physical injuries actionable under the Federal Tort Claims Act. In addition, constitutional claims are not cognizable under the FTCA. There's no evidence you experienced a compensable loss as the result of negligence on the part of any Bureau of Prisons employee. I mean, if this doesn't go to the exact nature of the problem that Donald Trump has figured out how to take advantage of, then people better open up their eyes and their ears and understand Darren Howard is just a cog. He's a cog in the wheel of non-transparency by government on both sides of the aisle. And Donald Trump has figured out how to take advantage of it, certainly for his own benefit. And he uses it each and every day in order to try to escape responsibility, whether it's the January 6th insurrection, seditious conspiracy, whether it's the NARA, the National Archives, uh, under the Presidential Records Act, he will look to avoid any, any responsibility based upon the fact that 
You really can't verify anything because government refuses to be transparent. You know, Norm, on top of everything, I filed, as you know, I filed a request under FOIA. And this is now over, what, two and a half years. But over the course of at least the last one full year, the judge, because Mark Zaid is handling it, the judge has said that government has to process a minimum 500 documents a month. Now, at 500 documents a month, it would take 90 years for me to get all the documents. As it's been shown, there's more than 450,000 documents that are responsive, despite the fact that the inception... They said that there were no responsive documents to our FOIA request. Can you imagine? From zero to over 480,000 documents. But one year, on the 23rd of this month, will be one year, and I have not received a single document. And this is the same thing that Hakeem Jeffries and Ted Lieu wrote to the Inspector General Michael Horowitz about like over two and a half years ago that still to this day is not being investigated. And that's why this memo is so important. And that's why I do and I, I ask everybody, go to justsecurity.org and please, please, please read this model prosecution memo because it is an eye-opener. Thank you, Michael. Well, it happens to be true. So look, Norm, you also said that Trump might face insurrection and attempted coup charges. So my question to you, because I've often thought about that, how, how do you think that Jack Smith will try and make those charges stick? And what's the ultimate penalty for such activity in the event that Trump should be found guilty? Trump, if Trump is found uh, guilty in this case, um, you know, he potentially faces decades in prison. This is a very, very serious set of uh, alleged crimes. We do have to remember that he has not been charged, that if he is charged, um, he will be considered innocent until proven guilty. And uh, we don't opine on his guilt. We simply analyze the evidence under DOJ standards and look at things as a prosecutor would in deciding whether or not to bring a case. Now, all of that being said, if the case is brought, if Trump is convicted, uh, he's looking at potentially decades in prison. Um, it also bears upon the fitness for office. Do we really want a convicted anti-democracy felon to be in charge of our democracy again? That's why we have to go fast. And the, the speed of the resolution is as important as the severity of the punishment. Okay, so I have a question for you because... What what this insurrection, seditious conspiracy, you would agree that that's treason against America, would you not? Would you say that's treason against the Constitution? I wouldn't use I wouldn't use the term treason. Uh, I would say insurrection or giving aid and comfort to insurrection. I would say it was a betrayal of Trump's oath, which is part of the basis for the legal finding. Treason has a very specific statutory and constitutional meaning. This is insurrection. Okay, so what if hypothetically we're talking about the documents at Mar-a-Lardo 
And what if hypothetically he did show them to people that he shouldn't have? And what if hypothetically those people are not even U.S. citizens? What if they're foreign? What if it's Mohammed bin Salman? It's open. It somehow becomes open where we end up learning that these documents were photocopied, that they were provided to Mohammed bin Salman, let's say by Jared or by, uh, or by somebody else on behalf of Trump. Would you say that that would be treason? Um, if we, the technical uh, Is it espionage? The espion, you don't need espionage for the Espionage Act, right? Um, so I do think that even if Trump didn't um, didn't uh, show these documents to a um, show these documents to a foreign government, that you still would have um, you still would have a violation of the Espionage Act. Um, it probably comes closer to um, sedition. But I really think the place where it lands is um, is uh, insurrection. I will say, if it is proved that Trump, it's not in the it's not in the indictment against him for the Mar-a-Lago document stuff that he showed it to foreign governments who are adverse to the United States. That's like Benedict Arnold. We're in you know we're in a war with uh, with Great Britain, and Benedict Arnold betrayed us to that country. This is really more like what Donald Trump did was uh, attack the legal order. Um, you don't, or espionage, it's one crime just to have national security information. It's another t- crime uh, to, show it to, uh, to show it to a hostile foreign adversary. They didn't charge him under the Espionage Act. Uh, with that. They only charged him with possession, but they included some descriptions mm-hmm. of how he showed these documents to Americans who did not have the clearance that they needed. And my concern is that they were also shown to people who are not American, who are certainly not considered our allies, but rather adversaries. And you know what I'm trying to get at here is you know, what people don't understand is that the United States does still have the penalty of death for treason, which, you know, if you look it up by the statute, it's whoever owing allegiance to the United States. And I don't think anybody owes an allegiance to the United States more than the president of the United States levies war against them or adheres to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort within the United States or elsewhere. It's guilty, right? And shall suffer death. Right. But what's interesting is or or shall be in prison, not less than five years. I mean, shit, I got three years for another guy getting his pecker pulled by a porn star. This guy's fucking committing treason against America the way I see it. You know, and he looks like who knows what he's going to end up getting. But, you know, one of the big concerns that I really have is timing. And it's something, Norm, that you and I have talked so much about. We're going to get back into it. But I want to turn for a moment, if you would, and talk about Trump's co-conspirators in the 2020 election. In your extremely professional opinion, who do you think will likely face the most aggressive prosecution for their work? 
Well, the January 6th committee focused on a select group of individuals. And again, my job um, in writing this Pross memo was to look at this with my co-authors as a prosecutor would. Um, and I think it will be like uh, in the Mar-a-Lago case, there's Trump and Nauta, two people, and uh, reportedly one other person has gotten a target letter that they may be charged, a lower level employee who evidently was involved in moving some of these documents, hiding them from the government. So when you want to go fast, you got to go light. And that means light on the defendants. I think the greatest risk, look, the t- this was... Uh, this was an attempted coup, not using tanks and guns and soldiers. It was an attempted coup using lawyers and statutes and cases. Though so the lawyers are at risk, that's at the top, that's Eastman, that's uh, Giuliani, that's Chesbro. Those are the three lawyers who have carried the most responsibility for these uh, this cockamamie fake electors theory to try to interfere with Pence Sydney um, Powell on January 6th. I put the others again looking I'm not I don't exonerate Sydney Powell or anybody else, but if if Smith is going to go fast, he wants to pick the most culpable people and then later on he can consider whether to proceed against the Jeffrey Clarks and the Sydney Powells. He, he has a 5-year statute of limitations. He's in no he need be in no rush on them. But where he has to be on a rush is Trump and a very short list of co-conspirators. Just to finish on the treason point, Michael, it's defined in the Constitution as consisting of levying war against the United States or adhering to the enemies and giving them aid and comfort. So in the absence, but then we have another category, insurrection, sedition, that's what we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. That's internal enemies, not external enemies. I think Jack Smith should focus on the lawyers, two clients, Trump and Meadows, and three lawyers, um, Giuliani, Eastman, Chesborough, as he decides whether and when to bring charges. So let me then ask you, since well, let's start with Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani here. How likely is it that Rudy will will flip on Trump? And if so, what do you think that Trump has on him in terms of possibly compromise to try to keep drunken Giuliani quiet? Um, well, I think that uh, I think that um, Giuliani is um, not quite right. Um, he's not playing with a full deck anymore, Michael. Um, as you know, well, um, he has talked to Jack Smith under a proffer, what we call, uh, queen for a day where you get some limited immunity. Um, that's insane to do if you're, you know, in my view, if you're going to be charged unless, unless he, he got a larger deal, which I don't think he did. I, I don't know that Trump has anything on Giuliani. I just think that Giuliani is unhinged, misplaced loyalty, and maybe gambling that Trump or another Republican wins office, takes the White House back in 2025 and pardons him. So, um, you know, 
um, Giuliani does not, to me, does not seem to be uh, the the, uh, most uh, sharp tool in the shed. He once was... uh, he once was a different person, but he seems to have just deteriorated. Yeah. But, you know, in um, The Daily Beast, Shen Wu, who's forever on, I think, like, you know, CNN and so on. I mean, he wrote and he penned this really fantastic article about yes. Rudy Giuliani and flipping on Trump. And, you know, just to read from uh, a passage there, you know, one of the things that Shan says, and I have, a, I mean, I... I agree with the guy completely much of that speculation is hype over the reporting by the new york times and cnn that giuliani met with prosecutors under conditions known as a proffer but proffers and this is the important part do not always lead to a cooperation agreement rather they are a method by which white-collar defense lawyers seek to probe what the prosecutor's interest is in the client and to see if they can assuage any suspicions by the prosecution that the client has committed crimes right um an old adage in white-collar defense is the distinction between these categories of crimes versus violent crimes right so in violent crimes it's a whodunit in white collar crimes, it's often the question yeah. of whether anything was criminally done at all. So I think that's where Shan is 100% correct. And Rudy, as crazy and as weird as he has become over the years and unhinged and just sloppy and dysfunctional, he still knows the game pretty well. So I would be very curious to see whether or not um, a cooperation agreement comes out of those uh, meetings that he had with uh, Jack Smith's office. Um, you know, um, I, <laughs> I, I don't think the value of Rudy as a cooperator is very high because you can't count on whatever he tells you before trial. You can't count on him saying the same thing when he gets to the trial He's so culpable. Um, I, you know, it, to me, he's lost his bar, his license. He's suspended from the practice of law because of this stuff. You know, I just don't, I, I don't get um, doing a cooperation deal with Rudy. I guess if you lock him in and you get all the good information, maybe it makes sense. Now, Meadows, that would be valuable, valuable cooperation. Okay, so let me ask you, let's talk about Mark Meadows then. Do you believe that Meadows has flipped? And if so, what does this mean for Trump? Um, Now, Meadows, there are reports he appeared in the grand jury. We also have to be, and that's not good for Trump. I don't believe, he may have appeared in the grand jury and taken the Fifth Amendment. He may have gotten court-ordered immunity where he's forced to testify. The tricky thing about Meadows is he seems so culpable culpable in that, what I, to quote federal judge David Carter, that attempted coup in search of a legal theory, it's hard to understand how prosecutors would immunize him without a plea deal and how they would avoid prosecuting him. 
But again, on the simple theory of the case, maybe they're just focusing on Trump. So they forced Meadow into the Meadows into the grand jury, pump him for everything he's got, use that to build the case and go after Trump and the lawyers. Yeah. Well, look, you know, let me just go and talk to you. Newsweek, this guy by the name of um, what was his name? Uh, uh, Ewan Palmer uh, had a pretty great article. And I mean, it's entire Mark Meadows flipping on Donald Trump is, in quotes, game over. And obviously, it's by, from a legal expert. But it's truly an interesting scenario, right? I mean, Mark Meadows was there. Mark Meadows was the guy who was also taking notes. He was his chief of staff. I mean, nobody was on top of Trump more than his chief of staff, which, of course, is why Trump had gotten rid of so many chiefs of staff before, because he hates when people are on top of him and around him, you know, all the time. I I agree. I think um, knowing that Meadows is no longer in communication with Donald, um, I think it's, um, it's a real possibility that Meadows has decided that he's going to actually cooperate or that he has already cooperated and provided documentation. Why government moves as slow as they do, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, to me, it doesn't make sense. If you have the documentary evidence, if you have the testimony, it should not be taking two years. It doesn't need a thousand people to provide testimony. You don't need a million documents regarding January 6th. Um, you don't need a million documents regarding the Fulton County, Georgia case. You don't need a million documents regarding the Maralardo document retention or obstruction case. You don't need a million documents regarding Alvin Bragg, the New York DA's case against Trump for campaign finance violation and, you know, and improper bank records. You just don't need it. Take your case, take your documents. You don't need you don't need to kill 10 people to be a murderer. Just one. One is just enough. Use the mm-hmm. most direct documents, use the best witnesses for each case and move the case forward. You know, that's one of that's one of government's weaknesses and Trump's strength. If they're going to try to charge him for January 6th, they're going to want to meet and confer with each and every one of the witnesses that the January 6th committee has already met with and taken testimony of. You're talking about a thousand people in order for them to do it, even if they had even if they had 50 lawyers assigned to this. And I don't think there's a judge on the planet that would say that's reasonable. Even if you had 50 lawyers, it would still take you more than a year. I mean, that's just how that's how crazy it is. It would take you several years. But look, just my opinion. I do want to ask you this, though. How will the DOJ's case against Trump differ from the case being brought by the Fulton County DA's uh, office in Georgia for Trump's attempt to overturn the election uh, in Georgia while pressuring Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find the votes for him? How do you think that those will differ? How will the federal Jack Smith case differ from the uh, the likely federal case differ from the Georgia case, Michael? Yes. Um, I think that the um, 
the Jack Smith case, because time is of the essence, is going to be more of a narrow, streamlined, focused case. I think Fannie Willis is an example of a state where Trump's misconduct had profound across-the-board effects. So she needs to, and likely will, while focusing on Georgia, concentrate broadly. She shouldn't only pay attention to the fake elector scheme, as important as that is. She has to go after the former president and others for um, trying to get Brad Raffensperger to just find 11,780 votes that didn't exist, uh, for trying to get DOJ to write a phony letter to the Georgia legislature, Mm -hmm. for pressing Rudy Giuliani and others to go to Georgia and squeeze the Georgia state legislature to overturn the election. Um, so she she needs to, and I think she has a proven history of doing these broad RICO cases and winning them, state-level um, racketeer-influenced and corrupt organization act cases. She has the tools, she has the power, and she's not in a rush. Her case will continue. If Trump wins again oh, in 2024. What do you mean, Norm? Norm, what do you mean she's not in a rush? We're all in a rush because if no, she no, doesn't no. get this. No, she's if, in a rush to start. But she doesn't have to finish in a year, unlike unlike um, Jack Smith, because Trump has no power to shut her case down, right. Michael. Her case is the insurance policy. If Trump or another Republican wins and pardons Trump, if he pardons himself, if he or another Republican gets in there and tells DOJ, shut down these federal cases, um, her case is the insurance policy. She should file it as fast as she can. We're expecting it this summer. She should litigate it as fast as she can. But unlike Smith, Trump can't affect her case, most likely, so she doesn't have to wrap it up in one year. She should go for the whole mm-hmm. enchilada. Right. Well, let's not forget, while a lot of people don't think Alvin Bragg's case is, you know, as significant as trying to, you know, overthrow or overturn a free and fair election or refusing to return top secret documents and obstruction of justice and seditious conspiracy, same holds true for Alvin Bragg's um, you know, the Manhattan DA case, that is criminal and it cannot be shut down, even if, in fact, Trump ends up winning or another Republican ends up winning the case. So that at least we now have two possible insurance, ca- uh, you know, there's two possible insurances uh, here. But I want to ask you this, right, because you brought up this RICO. How would you say then that Trump's activities rise to the level of, of RICO? And how do you think that she would make that case stick? You know, we all, of course, know RICO dealing with organized crime. You know, we know it for, you know, for the mafia. How does it, how does it affect and how does it apply in this specific case? Well, here, uh, what Trump did was... Um He uh, turned his campaign into a uh, alleged uh, racketeering organization. Uh, That just means an organization that is committing multiple crimes, right? And allegedly what Trump did in Georgia 
He says 11,000, just find 11,780 votes. That's a solicitation of fraud. Uh, allegedly, he and his campaign involved in the Coffee County situation, hacking votes. Uh, that's a computer trespass. Uh, the phony electoral certificates, uh, that's uh, forgery, and on and on. So those are also RICO offenses, what we call predicate offenses. It just means when you use an organization, it's like the pizza connection case. When you use an organization to commit multiple crimes, the guy at the top can't say, oh, I wasn't the one who went into Coffee County and did the computer hacking. I was in Washington. No. If you set up the organization, if you are participating in, in the activity, you're responsible for the broader scope of misconduct. That is, I think, how Fonnie Willis is going to charge the case here. Well, let's hope. And Fonnie, if, you will, if you're listening, and I know that you are, let's go. Let's file this right now. We don't need to wait till August. For whatever reason, that's what she wants to do. I would just file it ASAP. So, Norm, let me ask you this. So just from a pure resource standpoint, how does Trump prepare for and defend against charges in Florida federal court for the documents case and a likely superseding indictment of 40 or more charges plus coming from, I mean, these federal charges for trying to overturn the 2020 election, plus the pending criminal trial against him in New York State involving Stormy Daniels, right, the DA case, and um, myself, plus the coming Georgia indictment. I mean, it's just, it's so much. I mean, it's just, it's just a breathtaking amount of legal activity. I mean, the man will become a professional defendant, if you would. Discuss this with me and my listeners. How? Well, uh, it speaks to the perversion of a part of the Republican Party. I guess if they're supporting Trump after all this, a majority of the Republican primary electorate, uh, that uh, disrespect for the rule of law is a badge of honor. Uh, it almost has a, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, ominous or a dispiriting quality for the country until you remember that the majority of Americans want no part of this, Michael. In 2018, in 2020, in 2022, Trump's approach was on the ballot and uh, independents, Democrats, but even a slice of Republicans came together to reject him, okay? He lost the popular vote in 2020 by a huge amount. He lost the Congress in 2018. In 2022, wherever he picked candidates, like all of these state Kerry Lakes, mm -hmm. his election denying candidate, they were wiped out. So, um, you know, the American people, whatever comfort he may enjoy in the Republican primary electorate, the American people want no part of it. And I predict if he's the nominee, he's going to lose uh, and he's going to be decisively rejected by the majority of American people who still have their common sense. And I hope, you know, those who support him are not bad people. Michael, one of my best friends is a strong Trump supporter, a guy I love. He's he's very, he's very smart. He's more well-educated than I am, very successful in business. And he's a good man. He's a good man. 
but he has this blind spot. If I he hope- is a Trump supporter and he's wealthy, he's not voting, he's not behind Donald Trump because of Donald Trump's um, positions uh, on anything other than he'll make and keep more money and have to pay less taxes and there'll be less restrictions and regulations on him because that's what Donald's about. He's voting with his no. pocketbook and not with I his mind. I know, my friend. No. If he were broke, he would vote the same way, and plenty of people are. He believes in Trump. That is a big—and he thinks the uh, charges are unfair. And that is the big issue for our country. That is a, you know, that is a clear and present danger that there are tens of millions. But fortunately, to answer your question, there are more tens of millions who reject that. So uh, whatever sugar high Trump may be getting in the Republican primary, it's not going to last. And even they, when more indictments start coming, even they may start to turn on him. Well, that's what's been said over and over again. Look, we've tried and tried again to place some measure of accountability around Donald Trump. But each and every time, he seems to somehow evade punishment. Look, right now, in my lawsuit, four years in the making, in order to get Trump organization to be held accountable for legal fees incurred on behalf of the Trump organization and its CEO, CEO, President Donald. All right. But he somehow has managed to evade, you know, accountability, punishment. Not now. Right now, we're out there voidiring the jury. Trial goes on next Monday, which is the uh, 24th. And I believe he will be held accountable. But what do you think makes the case different and why? So do you think that Trump will actually end up being held accountable? Do you think that he'll ever be um, put behind bars or in some form of a home confinement scenario? Um, I do think he will eventually have to um, have to serve prison time. There's just too many crimes. He's not going to be able to dodge it all. Um, the interesting constitutional question will be, If he's prosecuted and convicted while president, does the Constitution permit his incarceration and he conducts business from a prison cell? I think it allows the trial and the punishment. And I think the Supreme Court case is clearly, while they haven't reached that question, they never had to point in that direction. Um, But yes, I think he's going to I think he's going to face accountability, Michael. You're right. It's not fast, particularly with an ex-president. It's slow. But um, and and you really can hardly move when somebody's a sitting president. Accountability is coming. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one as well. So let me ask you this. Right. If hypothetically Trump is actually found guilty, if Trump is sentenced to, whether it's prison or a very significant home confinement. Do you fear the prospect of violence by his MAGA army, by his you know, MAGA supporters? I do. I, I, I do. I think there are personally enough of them that are completely unhinged, batshit fucking crazy, armed to the teeth with 
their AR-15s and tens of thousands of rounds of ammunition. I do fear the prospect of violence. What's your opinion on that? Um, I think that um, there's always the risk. Of course, we saw it on January 6th. The system is much more prepared for it. If we didn't get it in the Bragg case and we didn't get it in the Mar-a-Lago case, I don't think we'll get it on additional charges. And then we just have to be very vigilant after that. Um, you know, there's always the risk uh, of um, acts, probably lone wolf type acts, more risky. Um, but um, I think the system is up for it. So I think people can be confident that the system, you know, January 6th was a wake up call. And it's not what... Um, it's not what um, uh, it's not what um, America um, uh, expected. It's not what anybody wanted. Um, even some of those people regret it. And I just don't believe that uh, we're going to be caught sleeping again. So I hope I hope to be proven right. Right. So in my question is really not uh, that there will, is going to be a, a uh, an overturning of our government. It's not going to be a coup d'etat or anything. I'm just talking about mm. the prospect of violence. And you, you hit it right on the right on the head when you said the lone wolves. That's what I'm more yeah. concerned about. I have 100 percent, not 101 because I don't think that exists. And it's greater than 99. I have 100 um, percent faith in our law enforcement, FBI, um, our local police, our, you know, our men and women in uniform, whether it's military, police and so on. There is no doubt in my mind that they are monitoring this in order to prevent as much of the violence that could emanate from a Trump uh, conviction and a sentence, there's no doubt in my mind that they are ready, willing, and able to defeat them all. I just do believe that, and I have a fear of the prospect of violence. That's the only point that I was trying well, to make. But, yeah. you know, that's that's the concern because there's always going to be at least, yeah, at least one idiot. And the concern is who is it that that idiot's going to target? Right. Who's got the biggest mouth that's out there that they're going to blame Trump's incarceration or Trump's, uh, you know, indictment and conviction on. So, you know, that's the fear that obviously I have. But Norm, as always, talking to you, hour goes by real quickly here on Maya Culpa. You and I could speak for hours. I have one last question <laughs> for you. One last yes. question, pal. So some folks argue that the best way to bring the country together and stop the seething divisiveness between the left and mm. the right is to pardon Donald Trump. Which, again, it's difficult because you don't only have federal charges, you have state charges. So whether Georgia brings it, New York, they'd all have to pardon him. But in your opinion, because you are the pro right now on between the two of us, why is this a bad idea and why do you feel that Trump, as do I, must face accountability on the charges that have been levied against him? If Trump does not face accountability, 
if he's pardoned or if he pardons himself, um, he will do it again and others will follow his example. Holding Donald Trump accountable, conversely, is essential for the preservation of American democracy. We know from other countries like Viktor Orban's Hungary or Erdogan's Turkey that when you don't crack down on autocracy at the beginning, it runs amok and democracy is lost. If you value American democracy, if you care about the history of our country and its present and bright future, if you want this experiment in self-governance to remain strong, Donald Trump must not be pardoned. He must be held accountable. Juries must decide whether he committed the crimes that have been discussed, alleged, and um, uh, now are front and center with two sets of indictments already and at least two more coming. Democracy is at stake in the um, uh, proceedings of these existing, and I believe, prospective criminal cases. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Listen, Norm, no one says it better than you. Appreciate you, everybody, once again. Make sure that you go and you check out this incredible, incredible document uh, called Model Prosecution Memo. Um, Norm, thank you, as always, for joining me. You know I'm going to be calling you again soon because there's just too much going on and too much information that you have in that head of yours with that amazing with that amazing hair that you have there's just too much information in that brain of yours to keep it to yourself so i thank you on behalf of myself all my listeners and the country you're most welcome i'll see you soon pal and now for today's mea culpa in speaking with Norm Eisen, I am reminded that there are men and women out there who have dedicated their lives to justice, and by the way, Norm is one of them. He is a true mensch in the truest application of the word, a man who will do anything to help those in need. But don't mistake his essential goodness for weakness. He is the epitome of the Theodore Roosevelt maxim of walk softly and carry a big stick. Norm will absolutely destroy anyone that he believes is betraying the principles that he holds most dear. And for him, Donald Trump and his naked cynicism, his greed and corruption is a perversion of everything he has stood for his entire public life. To counter the lies and venomous bullshit spewed by Trump and his MAGA cronies, Norm has replied with facts in the application of the law and for once there is no escape. Trump has finally met his match. The irony is that it's not some carnival bark or a totalitarian strongman applying pressure, but a man who's filled with decency and the law on his side. Special Prosecutor Jack Smith beats a similar path, and this is what drives Trump insane. What drives him insane is that there is no way to flip him upside down. These are men of unimpeachable credibility, unflappable, cold in reason, and unrelenting in their pursuit of justice. And that is why Trump is terrified. He has always depended on the opposite, that everyone had a price and everyone was corruptible. And if not, that he could make something up. 
I mean, he certainly tried with Jack Smith, but the special prosecutor just steamrolls forward. I mean, it's really quite a sight to behold as he continues to disparage and denigrate Jack Smith. Jack Smith just goes, I don't know, to Subway and buys a fucking sandwich. So it ain't working, Donald. Try something new. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. (laughs) 